Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Money Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Derek Bullen. He is the Chief Executive Officer of SI Systems and the author of a new book called In Defense of Wealth. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Derek. Thank you, Jordan. A pleasure to be here. Just give us a little bit of your history. I know your first chapter goes into more detail, but just give us a brief history of how you got to where you are today. How I got to here as, a, as an entrepreneur or how I got to writing the book? Well, both. Okay, sure. So, you know, Jordan, I was uh, fired from my last three jobs. <laughs> and and I just told my wife, I said, I can't work for anybody anymore. I'll just get fired again. I, I said, you know, they'll figure out that I was on the right track, but it won't be for a couple of years. I got to do my own thing. And so I started doing my own thing and it was computer programming. And I soon started getting jobs for my friends. And today I have about 6,000 computer programmers working for me across Canada. And we're doing applications for the banks, the telcos, transportation. It's great. So that's my story. And and it was hard work. It wasn't. I didn't just fall into it. And then the story of the book was just all of this commentary on the inequality of wealth and pay your fair share. And I was attracting a lot of this attention myself, uh, being the CEO of a large company. And I finally just said, you know, I think everybody's got it wrong. Rich people are wonderful for society. We're creating wealth, prosperity for everybody. We're paying more than our fair share of taxes. We're fairly compensated. Less people are poor, the more wealth that we create for everyone. And I thought, I need to just get all the facts out, put them together in a book. And so that was the book, In Defense of Wealth, A Modest Rebuttal to the Charge, The Rich are Bad for Society. So let's go into this very heated political argument. I mean, if you hear in the United States, uh, Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, Mm -hmm. they're saying that there's all these multi-billionaires and millionaires who are paying zero in taxes uh, and and, uh, they're getting away with it and all the burden is on the middle class. These people have to pay their fair share. In fact, in the most recent Biden budget, I think he put in a 20% alternative minimum tax that could not be escaped so you're going to capture all the wealth from these people are getting away from <laughs> murder. <laughs> I know. And you know, that's so far from the truth, Jordan. That's so far from the truth. So in the United States, uh, there will everybody that works will be assessed as to whether or not they owe federal income tax. The more money you make, the higher percentage of what you earn you will provide to, to the U.S. Uh, government. And the U.S. will collect one6 trillion in income taxes this year. The top 1% of earners in the United States, and these are people who earned over half a million uh, in the year, they will pay 40% of the federal tax. The bottom 57% of workers will get a free ride. They will not pay any federal income tax. So the top 1% is paying for 40% of the roads, 40% of the government services, 40% of the world that we all enjoy. And uh, I think that's more than their fair share. That's actually how that works. So I don't know where these guys get get away with this. They don't pay anything. Now, some people like Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos has paid billions in income tax, but there were two years in the last 15 where he said, I'm not selling any of my Amazon shares, I'm not taking a salary, I'm good. And so he didn't realize any income because he didn't sell anything, he didn't pay himself anything, he had enough money in the bank to coast. And those years he didn't pay income tax. And because the because he didn't have anything to declare. and But what the government's saying is they're saying, if that 1% stops coughing up the dough, we really miss it because they're carrying 40% of all of our programs. We want to make it that they can never skip a year because they didn't need to sell anything. Let's get some kind of way to tax them whether they had any income or not. That's really what, what Biden's uh, saying. Well, they're talking about a wealth tax, right? And it would be oh, even worse. <laughs> based on the amount of their wealth, they get away with murder because they control when they sell assets and realize gains. They shouldn't be able to do that. Their wealth is going up as the stock market and as real estate goes up all the time. And they're just getting away with murder. We have to just take some small percentage of that wealth every year. That would be an Elizabeth Warren argument. 
It would be. Well, France tried it. A lot of European companies tried it. And, and the U.S. even tried it uh, briefly. I'll talk about both. But France is a direct comparable. So France said the same thing. They said, you know, the wealthiest people, we should tax them a half a percent to one and a half percent on everything they own. So everything they've already bought with after-tax dollars and the company they started, whatever that company's worth that year, we should tax them, you know, half a percent to one and a half percent. So it's a double tax. It's the same thing Warren's talking about. And it triggered a sizable migration of wealth creators and entrepreneurs. So France brought in this wealth tax in 1988. It was a very left of center government at the time. And they said, this is going to raise billions. Well, it did for its almost 20 year run, raise 26 billion in additional tax revenue. But what it lost, now that we're looking at it, it lost more than 125 billion annually from the departure of the wealth creators. All the people who were making the money, creating the wealth, had their factories. They were starting to relocate and become non-resident to France, so they didn't have to pay this double tax. And when Macron canceled it in 2007, it had just been a disaster. He said, it's all well and good to want to spread the wealth, but first you need to produce to create the wealth before redistributing it. That's how it works. Another example that people refer to all the time as kind of an ideal society is Scandinavia, Denmark, Sweden, Finland. Norway, where uh, they've got higher taxes, but it's equal, and there aren't all these outrageously wealthy people to lord over the, the little people. That's often an example. <laughs> you know, it's often given, but but I think the taxes are often overplayed. So uh, my oldest daughter is married to uh, a Swedish boy, and uh, I went and visited his family in Sweden, and to my great surprise, we pay more taxes in Canada than they do in Sweden. <laughs> and so they're not super taxed. And, and, and taxes is, you know, multifaceted, you know, in, in, um, in how, it com- how it comes in. So I, I don't think there's any great socialist program. You know, where you get a great socialist pro- program is something like Venezuela, where Hugo Chavez comes in and he says, I'm going to redistribute this wealth, like really, I'm going to nationalize everything, I'm going to redistribute the wealth. And, and, that's, and, and that's really just such a disaster. That's actually socialism. And now 90% of Venezuelans live in poverty, and the average Venezuelans lost 26 pounds due to malnutrition. But that's that's how this goes even if you put in a little wealth tax so with george bush senior president bush senior put in a 10 percent luxury tax in 1991 his economist said this will raise nine billion annually again it's a double tax on the rich so the rich not being dummies they stopped purchasing luxury items and what happened was it devastated domestic industries the boating industry jewelry industry exotic cars um people that make small private plants like Beechcraft and Wichita. And I think it was the state of Massachusetts whose boating industry was totally gutted. Uh, over 10,000 jobs were lost because nobody was buying the product anymore. It was actually President Clinton eliminated the luxury tax. And in retrospect, during its brief two-year run, it wasn't bringing in $9 billion annually. It brought in a measly $12 million and lost tens of thousands of jobs. This is like this every time a country implements a uh, special wealth tax. Wealth creators don't need to be there. Oh, it's happening right now in the States. California is giving billions upon billions of gifts to Texas, to Arizona, to Florida, and to Nevada. You know, like uh, Elon Musk is now a citizen of Texas. A lot of his philanthropy now is based uh, for Texas schools. Um, SpaceX is there. The Tesla factory is there. He's going to open the Giga factory there. Oracle Software is the second largest software manufacturer on the globe next to Microsoft. They've moved their head office out of California to Texas. California should be growing because it has so much of everything and it's got such wealth concentration and uh, it's got the technology sector, the resource sector. California is shrinking. It's losing a city the size of Anaheim every year, 360,000 people export out of it. And they're losing their wealth creators and, uh, it just means less for their less for their budgets, less for their coffers. Like raising taxes is all well and good, but if it goes too far, you start to lose the people who actually make the money for everybody. You're you're going completely against the grain 
particularly in academia, <laughs> where people like uh, Thomas Pinkerty are uh, the, the heroes, and right. um, the, the, many, many younger people say they want to be socialist capitalism just like they were before. Uh, that's yeah, the kind of general direction uh, younger people are at these days. Well, how do you counter them? You know, socialism is uh, very popular because it plays on empathy. You know, we're going to take care of, of everything. And and, uh, and millennials, you know, those born 1981 to 1996 and Gen Z, 1997 to 2012, they actually believe right now that socialism is on parity with capitalism. They're both equal parts, which is entirely not true. Um, so many people die, so many people are poor, so many people are in famine under socialist regimes, and we're not taught that in school, but what, what we are taught in school is from a very left-of-center bias. So in the United States right now, general population, 31% are on the right, 24% are on the left, and 43% are moderate. However, in the U.S. universities, it's only 12% on the right and 60% on the left. And if you're smart and you've got your master's and you've got your doctorate and you want to become part of a faculty, well, good luck with that because the people that are assessing you are left of center. And if there is anything to the right or realistic about what you're saying, unless it lines up with the left doctrine, you're in great headwinds. So all of our kids, all of our kids are being um, taught by very left of center faculty. And then also what they read is coming from very left of center. So uh, Arizona State and Texas A&M did a study of financial columnists and, and journals. Are you, are you right or are you left? Thinking these are financial columnists. They've got to be to the right. Not at all. They mirror the university. It's only 4.4% on the right, less on the right, and 60% on the left, same as the university. So there's this tremendous bias on the left that we're uh, delivering to the kids. And uh, yeah, socialism sounds good in principle, but in practice, it, it has not been anything but a macro disaster. China, by the way, China, by the way, did the opposite. So socialism starts in communism, starts in China, which is the, the most harsh form of uh, socialism. And so 1949, Chairman Mao says, we're, we're going to be communists, we're going to have a centralized system, we're going to all share in the wealth. Well, <laughs> Between 1958 and 1962, 20 million people die from famine. Like the whole supply chain breaks down, everything. It's a tragedy of the commons. So when Deng Xiaoping, who's Mao's uh, successor, visits the U.S. in 1979, 88% of China is below the poverty line. China's poor, broken, and trending downward. But yeah. Deng, Deng Xiaoping sees the U.S. as prosperous, and he's like, you know, we need to be more capitalistic and and so he sets up special economic zones where people can become wealthy where wealth creators can work where people can earn money and china has 20 sez zones and china now has the second largest economy on the planet now has the second highest number of billionaires next to the united states they have 626 billionaires in china and over that time frame where they re-injected capitalism in these 20 special zones people below the poverty line has decreased from 88% of the population was poor to now less than 1%. So as wow. the rich grew richer, the poor became substantially less poor. Okay. And that's kind of how socialism and capitalism work. <laughs> capitalism uh, good, socialism bad. We have to take a break, Derek. So uh, my guest this hour is Derek Bullen. He is author of a new book called In Defense of Wealth, A Modest Rebuttal to the Charge the rich are bad for society. You can get it at Amazon. He also has a website, bullenbooks.com. We'll be back after this. All around the world, tech companies are innovating and driving returns for investors. Our crowd analyzes companies across the global private market, selecting those with the greatest growth potential, then brings them to you. From personalized medicine to robotics to cybersecurity, where companies spend $150 billion annually, our crowd is identifying innovators so you can invest where growth potential is greatest early. Our crowd is the fastest growing venture capital investment community. They have accredited investors who already use their platform to invest in over $1 billion in growing tech companies. 21 of the portfolio companies are unicorns. 
and many of our crowd's members have benefited from over 50 IPOs or sale exits of portfolio companies. Now you can invest in Sotero, which has developed a patented new approach to data protection that eliminates the gaps of traditional methods, securing any data asset, whether it's on-premise or in the, in the cloud. Sotero is trusted by one of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies. Explore Sotero's potential at OURCROW.com slash answers. You can join our crowd for free at OURCROW.com slash answers. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community at OurCrowd.com slash answers. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's gonna be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is gonna be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Derek Bullen. He's the author of a new book called In Defense of Wealth, A Modest Rebuttal to the Charge that the Rich are Bad for Society. You can get it on Amazon. He's also got a website, bullenbooks.com. Welcome back to the show, Derek. Thank you, Jordan. We talked about individuals. Let's talk about companies. So sure. the argument is that there are many very profitable companies that use tax tricks and offshore accounts in Ireland and the, whatever, the Channel Islands or places to avoid taxes. And in fact, there's a worldwide movement to uh, stop all this kind of territory chasing for tax havens and these companies should pay their fair share. What do you say to that? Well, you know, what I would say is that nations will always compete to bring companies to them. So I lived in Ireland for a brief time in the late 80s. And uh, Ireland was offering a 10-year tax break if you located part of your research and development in Ireland. And it brought to Ireland Logitech, it brought Apple, and it brought parts of these uh, organizations there. It greatly enriched Ireland and the work they did helped the mother company back in uh, on U.S. shores. And if you look at the, you know, SAP uh, 300 and look at the top largest companies, 50% of their income, 60% if you're a tech company, comes from overseas. And you also have to invest overseas to get that. You have to have a supply chain and everything there as part of the, the global trade. And as companies are doing that, reaching out beyond their borders to earn money, there are places that say, we will give you a tax incentive to set up here. Same way that uh, Texas, with uh, no state tax, is really saying to companies in California, come here, we'll give you a tax incentive to come here. So that's that's just uh, free market competition. Now, 
money the money never goes away the money never come goes to some secret place and stays there the money has to come has to get repatriated and i think as companies go global and and start using these to their advantage they have more money to invest they have more money to invest in jobs they have more money to invest in research and development and uh, chasing patents and they have more money to invest in growing their their firm and every firm has their day in the sun like like you can see it like uh, the old stalwarts that used to be the biggest on the um stock exchange like uh, general electric are no longer the biggest it's not ford it's tesla now so none of these things are permanent and i think the bigger piece that people are missing is that these companies create a lot of prosperity by reinvesting in themselves like if you look at amazon in 2020, the value of Amazon jumped by 570 billion. It was all of a sudden worth that much more. Everybody was using Amazon during the COVID uh, disruption. And Bezos owns 10% of it. And he owns it because he founded the company. He was the visionary leader who, through hard work, risk, he brought this enterprise into existence. And everyone said, 10%, that's 57 billion. If he's worth 57 billion per more, we should, you know, that, that that's just almost a crime. But what they didn't talk about was who owns the other 90% of Amazon and did they benefit? Did it benefit society? Well, if Bezos made 57 billion or didn't make it, it's just his asset was worth more. It meant the asset was worth 513 billion for everybody else. Well, who's everybody else? It's banks, pension funds, labor unions, insurance companies, and other institutions. They own the bulk of Amazon. So what people don't realize is that if, if you're an American and you get a loan for a car, a pension as a teacher or a fireman or a policeman, or strike pay from a union or home insurance after a fire, that Amazon wealth, a little bit of that Amazon wealth is making everything possible. Bezos is creating $9 for everybody else every time he creates people it not, for himself. People are not objecting to that. They're objecting that Amazon doesn't pay any taxes because of their <laughs> Ah, okay. So the, the government makes tax policies. So the United States, in order to stay competitive, says this. Says if you invest in research and development on American soil, whatever you invest in pure research and development, you can offset that against the taxes that you are owing. And Amazon uh, last year invested almost as much money in research and development as uh, NASA, like they were two thirds of the NASA budget and Amazon has like 25,000 patents. So that's why Amazon paid very little corporate tax is that they, they came and they said, well, we owe about 60 billion in corporate tax, but we invested and paid 62 billion in research and development. And the United States government says, thank you. That makes our nation more competitive. You can offset every dollar you spend on R&D against what you um, what you have to pay in taxes. And that's why their taxes were lower. I have all the time, Derek. Another objection is in the real estate area where depreciation, particularly accelerated depreciation, shields people from taxes. The best example, of course, being Trump, who had huge paper losses and never paid hardly anything in taxes after being a billionaire. They're saying, you know, starting right at the top, it's unfair. Yeah, I think I think Trump is is a, a lightning rod for for a lot of people. You know, he's in as a person, he's an easy person for people to take exception with. Um, although his policies, I think many of his policies were achieved and, and were very beneficial. But he's an easy lightning rod person. Again, these rules were put in place by the government, and it's the government that puts in the rules of accounting. And there's reasons for depreciation and uh, reasons for running these assets. So, you know, you're following the rules by the state in which you're running the business and if the rules have to change it's actually up to the government to create the policy but i believe the government has a beneficial intent behind every policy and every government's working to attract business and create wealth each state's working to do that in their own state so, so some would argue that a solution instead of having this complex tax system is to have a simplified even single uh, you know uh, tax rate or dramatically reduced deductions. This is what Reagan did in the mid 80s. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, simplify things and take away a lot of the deductions and tax credits. Um, is, is that a solution that would seem more fair to people? 
I think a flat tax rate sounds good, but if you talk to most rich people, we don't mind, and, and I'm, I'm meaning anyone affluent, like rich is so uh, pejorative, but anyone affluent, nobody minds paying up to 50% of their taxes to the government. I do. You know, I think when you work from January 1st to June 30th working for the government, you'd like to work the other half of the year working for yourself. If the government went flat tax, they'd be missing out on this massive bonanza that they get from the 1%. The government's so reliant on the 1% for funding their budget. They need a progressive tax rate for personal tax. However, I do agree with you, Jordan, a flat simple corporate tax is much easier to manage but for some reason governments are very opaque with how and where they tax you know putting in a consumption tax on a sales on a sales tax putting in different levels of corporate tax and they're always trying to incent something detune something but it, it's not very plain very easy to see simple would be better i agree so about 10 years ago or so there was the the 1% movement and the 99% and <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah. you know, all the uh, uh, protests on Wall Street and how unfair this all is and it's all Wall Street's fault. What, what ended up happening to that movement? Well, what people don't understand about the movement is that the United States government made a tremendous profit on the bailout. And uh, there's on the, that savings and loan crisis, worst crisis since the Great Depression, uh, how did it turn out? Well, um, for both the, the uh, TARP program and Fannie Mae and, and Freddie Mac, the government spent about $635 billion bailing them out. Since then, $390 billion of principal has been repaid and the U.S. Treasury has collected an additional $353 billion in revenue from its investments. So it's just, it's just benefiting all the taxpayers. And nobody told everybody, hey, that 1% you're rallying against, they're carrying 40% of the freight. So, you know, hey, they paid it back. They paid back the Great Recession. They're paying it back more, and they're carrying their freight. Yeah, very good. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Derek Bullen. Uh, his new book is called In Defense of Wealth. A Modest Rebuttal to the Charge the Rich are Bad for Society. You can get the book at Amazon, or he has a website as well, bullenbooks.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Show. Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Derek Bullen. He's the author of the book, In Defense of Wealth. Uh, and his uh, subtitle is A Modest Rebuttal to the charge the rich are bad for society. You can find about it at Amazon.com. He's also got a website, bullenbooks.com. Welcome back to the show, Derek. Hey, thank you, Jordan. 
So we were talking a little bit about the Occupy Wall Street movement, where the one percent were being uh, protested against, and it was in favor of making the the rest of us little peons, the ninety nine percent wealthier. <laughs> you know, it was it, it it's such a false narrative um, because the one percent could be any of us. You know, the one percent changes every generation. It's it's incredibly hard to make a lot of money and uh, it's even harder to keep it. Most of the people who will make money in their lifetime, by the time their grandchildren are adults, all that money will be gone. It'll be back into the general economy. And the 1% changes. There's this concept, uh, misconception that it's just, it's just inherited over and over and over again. That's an exception, you know, not the rule. If you look at today's billionaires, so there's about 3,000 3, billionaires on the planet, um, 70% of them made their money from scratch in their lifetime. They're new to this billionaire list. And uh, if you look at the Forbes 400, 70% of those people on there are new. They made their fortune in their lifetime. Only 30% inherited it. And uh, if you look at millionaires across the globe, 88% of millionaires made their money in their lifetime. So the 1% changes. It could be any of us. Wealth is an equal opportunity game. And today with the internet, communications, possibility, global trade, it could be anybody from almost any country in the free world that becomes the next 1%. So it's kind of, uh, you're, you're protesting against the ghost because it just changes all the time. And it's an equal opportunity game. It's a great game. <laughs> when people become wealthy, everybody becomes wealthy. So um, yeah, I don't know who Let's talk about against us. Philanthropy. So uh, you know, rich gift of philanthropy, but the mm. average person would say, well, they're just kind of giving small crumbs from basically what they have. Just a few people like Bill Gates and, and Warren Buffett have taken this pledge to give all their money away, but most of them are just super greedy. They just hold on to they have their big yachts and mansions and they just give crumbs. Right. Well, well you know, <laughs> that's also such a, that's a, such a fallacy. So the top 1%, let's look at the top 1%. That's who Occupy was protesting. The top 1% in the United States provide one-third of all charitable dollars given annually in the United States. And charities are important. Charities step in where governments uh, can't or won't step in. And, and you know what else is interesting? People on the right donate more to charity than people on the left. The charitable map, if you look at the Chronicle of uh, Philanthropy, they do a map every year, summary of charitable donations. The eight states that rank the highest in donations <laughs> vote Republican. The seven lowest states for uh, charitable donations vote Democrat. And it's just a stat. I'm not trying to incite either side. And um, if you look, too, at the, at the U.S. population, the average donation is about $570 per year. And that includes people donating to their church, whatever. Um, if you look at the uh, top 1%, the average donation is over 100 grand. And 97% of uh, people in the United States earning more than $200,000 a year donate to charity so it becomes it the the one percent the wealthy the rich these are big foundations for charity now what you were saying is some billionaires have said you know i want to give most of my money away to the society where i made the money which i think is amazing so warren buffett started that the lifetime giving pledge and he desires to give away more than 99 percent of his fortune and he brought along other billionaires other millionaires um people used to deride bill gates saying oh he's so stingy you know he never contributes to charity and then all of a sudden boom he starts the bill and melinda gates charitable foundation and uh lifetime giving to date is uh, almost 30 billion out of there george soros 17 billion to open society uh, uh helping bring democracy and voters rights to around the world uh michael bloomberg 11 billion guess who made jordan guess who made the biggest charitable contribution last year um bezos or yes Yes, Jeff Bezos, $10 billion to fight climate change through the Bezos Earth Fund. In addition, the pledge for Amazon, the company, to go totally carbon neutral by 2040, and then he signed up Uber, Microsoft, Verizon, and a couple other uh, companies to do it. And in addition, indirectly, through the divorce settlement to Mackenzie Scott, his ex-wife, she is also uh, donated $5.83 billion. And yep. uh, now Elon Musk has said, 
I'm, I'm uh, earmarking and has already put into a donation fund 5.7 billion. I think he's challenged uh, some um, some charities to say, give me a viable solution to uh, end or dramatically reduce world hunger, and, and I've got 5.7 billion for you. So, so this this uh, philanthropy from the super wealthy is incredible. Yet, yet there are proposals to take away the tax deduction for philanthropic giving. Uh, they raise the standard deduction so high that the vast majority of people do not itemize and therefore do not get any tax benefit from charitable contributions. And that's Most unfair. That's they- just unfair. You know, everybody should benefit from everything on the same playing field. I mean, okay, the rich pay more taxes, the more money they make, that's fine. Up to 50%, I don't think anybody's complaining about it. But when somebody gets a capital gains, when somebody gets a dividend, the tax treatment, I I think Jordan would be much better if it was the same for everyone, including um, uh, tax credits for for, uh, charitable contributions. In Canada, it's equal. Everybody gets the same tax credit for a charitable contribution across the board, whether it's a dollar or a million dollars. I mean, this is something Warren Buffett has often said, that he pays lower taxes on capital. That's a misquote. (laughs) That's a misquote. So what Warren Buffett's... Yeah, so Warren Buffett only pays himself a salary of 100 grand a year. That's what he pays himself as a salary, right? The majority of Warren Buffett's money comes to him in the form of dividends or capital gains from his own investments, right? And uh, his secretary has to pay tax on her salary. And she is not a minimum wage secretary. (laughs) She's a pretty high-powered secretary. And what he was saying is his staff who are paying taxes on on salaries paid to them the tax rate on salaries is higher than the tax rate on capital gains is higher than the tax rate on dividends that's that's really what he was saying and that's true if his secretary sells her house at a profit or buys stocks herself and and sells them at a at, at a profit she will then pay the same capital gains tax that Warren Buffett does. But I think Warren Buffett was saying, you know, there's different tax brackets for different ways in which you get income. And his way, capital gains and dividends, are a lower tax bracket than what individuals who make a salary have to pay. So what would be the impact in the Build Back Better program that President Biden had? He was talking Mm. about raising the marginal rate back to 39.6%, equalizing capital gains and regular income rates at the same rate. And then having mm-hmm. a tax on top of for, for millionaires over, I think, 400000 or something like that. What would be the economic impact of that uh, tax proposal? Jordan, I think, you know, we would have to look back in history and say, you know, what's happened? Anytime taxes are raised, there is a chilling effect. Anytime taxes are unfair, there's an emigration exodus effect. Um, Anytime taxes are lowered, there's a stimulus effect on the economy. So it just depends. I think that I think we'll just have to see how it plays out. But if you raise taxes, there's definitely a chilling effect because then less people partake in that type of uh, transaction. And then if it's if it's an unfair uh, tax levy that's put on any group. could be an unfair tax levy on a corporation, an unfair tax levy on an individual or like a wealth tax. It, as soon as it becomes unfair, then you start to see capital and people relocating to fairer uh, tax jurisdictions. So I think I think you, if you increase it too much, it has terrible consequences. When taxes go up beyond 50%, and this is the Laffer curve, total government revenues start to decline. So it's a very fine edge, very fine edge. I mean, some would say that since the pandemic, when the stock market has pretty much doubled and real estate values have gone up dramatically, that the rich have done really, really well. The value of their assets has gone up dramatically, yet they haven't paid more in taxes. And the average person really got hurt by the pandemic and they lost their jobs, they lost their houses, they couldn't pay their rent, and they've really been having a hard time. So it's, the pandemic has exacerbated the income inequality that was on already going on there. Would you agree with that? No, I think that 
I think they're just they're just putting their own narrative to what happened. When you look at the Spanish flu, which happened almost 100 years ago in 2018, uh, ironically, the same thing happened. The stock market rallied while the Spanish flu was endemic in the United States. And it was a much more, uh, had a much higher mortality. I think 18% of the population uh, died. It's, it's just... Um, I don't know why the stock market goes up when, when something's like that. You've also got to remember that the uh, government was printing more uh, money too. So it was putting tremendous amount of liquidity into the system. That had to go somewhere and people were buying things, buying stocks uh, like the GameStop stock. And uh, a lot of it was due to the government um, printing and, and injecting the system with massive liquidity. It was, it was but they were saying that most of that money that the Federal Reserve printed went to higher income people in the form of uh, gains in their stocks and their real estate and their assets, inflating a bubble economy, most of that gain went to the higher income people. It went to whoever held real estate and whoever owned companies. And uh, oftentimes that is a person who has income that they can spend in that. But it, it wasn't something the rich tried to do. They just happened to be the owners of that asset class. And that's where that liquidity went. People spent the money they were given. It went to companies. It went to real estate. It went to home improvement. Yeah. Very good. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Derek Bullen. He's the author of a new book called In Defense of Wealth, A Modest Rebuttal to the Charge the Rich Are Bad for Society. You can get the book at Amazon.com or his website is BullenBooks.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth in Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth in Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Derek Bullen. He's the author of the book In Defense of Wealth, A Modest Rebuttal to the, the Charge, The Rich Are Bad for Society. You can get the book at Amazon.com or his website is bullenbooks.com. Com. Welcome back to the show, Derek. Thank you, Jordan. So another big complaint is that CEOs are making huge amounts of money, that their compensation is many, many times <laughs> the average worker, and it's getting the, the gap is getting wider and wider. Yeah, that's an interesting one. You know, it's it's politically very popular to uh, rally against the rich, even though you're getting most of your money from them. And also very popular to rally against, you know, these CEO salaries. It was actually Bill Clinton in 1994 who said, look, we want to cap the salary for a CEO at a million dollars a year. Now, it was, uh, these are CEOs who create wealth for employees. Like Amazon paid $46 billion in payroll dollars to the 1.6 million uh, employees last year. It's amazing. So these are CEOs who create wealth for employees, create jobs. They create wealth for pension funds, investors, retirees, even nations. But Clinton's like, we want to cap these performers, these elite business people at $1 million. So the companies, when they want a better CEO, like grow my company, make money for me and my community and the globe, they had to start giving CEOs options. And they did. And that's when CEOs started to earn like movie stars. What was interesting is uh, Clinton didn't, it was still acceptable for athletes, musicians, and celebrities to earn more than a million, but not acceptable anymore for CEOs. So he actually created giving the CEOs options, which are 
shares, the option to buy shares in the company you're creating value for. So how did it work? Well, last year, if you were a CEO at one of the top 350 firms in the United States, the average pay was $24.2 million. And that included all your options. And by the way, you can't sell options every year. Once you sell an option, it's gone. It's like selling your house. You can't sell your house multiple times. You can just sell it once. So was that a lot of money? I don't think so. In the same year, if you were a top 10 um, YouTuber, you made $30 million. If you were a top 10 musician that year, you made $230 million. And if you were a top 50 athlete, you made $280 million, like over 10 times what one of these CEOs would make. Yet these CEOs... They're like the host of a large dinner party. They put on a dinner party, buy the groceries, cook it up, and put on this massive banquet for all their investors, all their employees. And you have to spend a tremendous amount of money on all of this machinery to make it work and then get a profit. And then if there is a profit, you can get a portion of it for yourself. And I think I think that's fair, but yet all the criticism comes when you get that little portion. And a CEO, a good CEO, who's running one of these large corporations, they're elite. They're just like an athlete. Like not everybody makes it to the NHL, the NFL, or the NBA. Um, you have to have a crazy amount of talent, the interest, and then the dedication and commitment to pursue it and that's what these elite ceos do and they're multipliers they create hundreds of billions in wealth for everybody they never take more than they create they only ever get a fraction of what they create and i think most of these people they don't know how to do anything but work that's what they're really really good at and we should encourage it and we should have more of them you know the the u.s benefits so much by having companies like microsoft amazon um, SpaceX, I mean, the innovation, the economic prosperity, it's mind boggling. You know, it's these CEOs that are running those businesses that allow America to be the largest economy on the globe. It's 30% of the globe, of globe business, of the globe money happens inside the United States. And it's these CEOs that are creating it. I, I think they're fairly compensated. You, you have a chapter called Rich Kids Inheriting Wealth. Mm -hmm. so, uh, I mean, there is resentment of, you know, the Kardashians or these kind of flashy Paris Hilton or people like that who inherit and don't seem to do anything. What do you say to the, the fairness of all these rich kids being showered with wealth basically for doing nothing? Well, well it, it, the assumption is they're basically doing nothing. You know, I can tell you that it's a tremendous amount of work to successfully transfer your wealth from one generation to another generation. It's a tremendous amount of education, communication, and and uh, work. And, you know, one of the Kardashian uh, ladies has already become a billionaire in her own right, you know, running her own brand. Um, even Paris Hilton makes a phenomenal amount of money, just her own brand, her own businesses. I think people resent it when someone gets something for free and they think everybody's getting a free ride. But it's not like that. Money is very hard to hang on to. Um, otherwise, in the Fortune 400 list, you'd have the Powerball winners would be in there and they'd just be in there in perpetuity. This person won million, hundred, hundred, over a hundred million dollars and you know, here they are, but it's not like that. Um, lottery winners, most lottery winners, uh, almost three quarters of lottery winners are broke and in debt two years after they're given millions upon millions of dollars. Like I said um, earlier, money is very, very hard to make but it's even harder to keep. So if you're generation two or three in the company, boy, you gotta work just as hard as the founder to keep that money. Everything conspires to take it away from you. We've been talking mostly about the US, but you're based in Canada. So Pierre mm -hmm. Trudeau is running things. He's kind of not exactly <laughs> socialist, but what, what has been the move uh, towards uh, taxing the wealthy uh, in Canada since he's been in? Well, we're the highest taxed in the G20 from a personal standpoint. So I work more than six months, you know, for the government. We're about middle of the pack in the G20 for capital gains. Like the United States, we printed a lot of money during the COVID uh, disruption. And uh, we printed so much of it that the government was actually competing with business everywhere. Uh, many businesses, small businesses to large businesses couldn't get employees because 
the employees were paying, being paid uh, too well for the government to sit at home and uh, do nothing. So we were missing a massive part of our, our labor force. We're the lowest in the G20 for uh, productivity. And right now, our government is very left of center. And it's not good for our country. It's not good for our prosperity. And it's not good for productivity. And, how is that uh, showing up? How, how is that showing up that the uh, left wing and the higher taxes is not making Canada prosperous? Well, we do have a lot of people that are relocating and becoming non-resident Canadians and relocating to London, relocating to the States. Um, I don't know if you ever play on online poker, but uh, a lot of those companies were started by Canadians and none of those people are resident anymore. I don't know if you remember the BlackBerry uh, phone, and right. uh, but uh, the founder of the BlackBerry phone is now resident in England and their wealth, their taxes are going to these new countries because it's just, Canada just got overtaxed. So we're experiencing the same exodus of wealth creators that uh, France experienced when they brought in the double tax. It's just it's just become uncompetitive to keep wealth creators in uh, Canada. I'm choosing to to stay in Canada. I, I think a lot of us are, but, but many, many people are leaving. And that's what happens when you overtax or unfairly tax the people who create the wealth in the first place. So if your argument is so strong, that it's good to encourage wealthy people and not overtax them and you're going to drive people out. Why is that not the majority view today? Because people do want prosperity ultimately. I think I think the one the politicians know that the 1% can't vote them into office and the 1% can't vote them out of office and they also know the 1% is the golden goose that's who they that's who they need to create wealth inside their community create the jobs and to support the government but at the same time the majority of the population that can vote them into office or vote them out of office it's an incredibly populist view to say let's go after the rich and they're just running on that narrative you know it's unfair you know what they have they made on everybody they make up all these or they don't even make it up they just have to go with the common narrative which is so entirely dead wrong and it's very popular and that gets them swept into office and uh and i think it's it's much easier to virtue signal that you care about the poor than to actually put in policy that actually helps people out of poverty and and breaks the poverty cycle and i think that it's just a very convenient saw for politicians to use to get in and out of office or to get in office and stay in office but in, in the reality, two minutes we have nothing left, to do with it in the two minutes we have left do you see anything going the other direction are there movements to lower taxes and, and praise the wealthy and make it easier to get rich. Trump did it. Trump did it, and he stimulated the American economy. And and you know what? Thank goodness he did, because Canada is Canada's largest trading partner. Whatever happens in the U.S. happens in Canada. That was a big benefit to North America was the stimulus. And uh, you know, I also think it was great. You know, uh, the United States elected a billionaire. Yes, he was quirky. <laughs> he, his personality might not be the person you want to have over for dinner, but his economic policy was very stimulative. Created a lot of wealth for everybody for everybody just benefited so i think that's a great case study very good well thanks so much my guest this hour has been derek bullen his new book is called in defense of wealth a modest rebuttal to the charge that the rich are bad for society you can find out more at his website bullenbooks.com and you can get the book at amazon.com thanks so much i think we've had a lot of people to chew on here derek thanks again thank you jordan my pleasure thanks again we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.